Hey everyone, and welcome to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that today's message encourages and inspires you and helps you on your journey to discover and follow the will of God. The outline of this message, speaker, message title, and series can be found in the show notes or the details page. Be sure to check us out on Facebook or on our church website at Bethlehem505.com. And now, here is the message. your Bibles out, as well as your uh, sermon notes page, which is the back of the bulletin. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. Our series is Be Like Jesus, and today we consider the centrality of Jesus. The centrality of Jesus. As you know, small children have a way of saying cute and interesting things that make us laugh or sometimes cringe or post it on social media. But another thing their comments do is make us think. One of the most memorable of those experiences from my own parenting days was something My daughter Leah said when she was not quite four years old, it was on that particular Sunday, our family Sunday, the last Sunday of the month when uh, all the kids besides like nursery age are, are in here with us through the service. And in my message that day, I used Leah as an illustration, which is one of the downsides of being a preacher's kid, of course. Well, she noticeably tuned in to that part So I wasn't sure how she might react either while I was sharing it or afterwards. But after church, she did not mention it at all. So I assumed she had forgotten it. I was okay for having used that. But the next day, she and I were coloring. Again, she was about four. And uh, out of nowhere, as we're coloring, I don't even know if she looked up from the coloring book, she said this to me. She says, Daddy, you're not supposed to talk about me at church. You're supposed to talk about Jesus. Now, I had to admit she had a very valid point. (laughs) Now, it's fine to use an illustration from everyday life to make a point or to enforce a lesson, because if you look at Jesus' own teachings, he did that most of the time, actually taking things from right around him and talking about those things uh, to make a point. But the fact is, and she was right, ultimately, you do not come here to this building to hear the Claiborne family adventures. Oh! <laughs> How did my three grandkids get up here on the screen? That is the, that is the strangest thing. <laughs> anyway, great picture. I'm thankful for them, but moving on. No, you don't come here. You didn't come here all those years to hear about our three kids. You don't come now to hear about our three grandkids. We each come here to this building to celebrate the adventures of Jesus Christ. So anytime we worship together, our singing, our teaching, our preaching, our praying, and everything else we do ought to in some way direct our attention to Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles of Jesus were told to stop preaching about Jesus. But they continued 
to teach about Jesus. And they were physically beaten severely for doing it. It's interesting, the account in the last two verses of Acts 5, how they responded to being told to stop and then continuing and then paying a price. Here's how they reacted. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Their main message, apparently everywhere they went, was that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. <laughs> My friends, Jesus should be central in everything we do. First of all, Jesus, and you can write this in on your outline, Jesus is central in the Bible. I want you to flip on over to the first chapter of Colossians and hold that in just a minute. A lot of the scriptures we'll put up on the screen, but this one I want you to turn to in Colossians 1. Several years ago, I ran across something. Uh, I, I always admire creative writing. Somebody had uh, written what they called the Bible in 50 words. And here it is. If you know the basic story of the Bible, you'll get almost all these little pairings. Here it is, the Bible in 50 words. God made, Adam bit, Noah art, Abraham split, Joseph ruled, Jacob fooled, Bush talked, Moses balked, Pharaoh plagued, people walked, sea divided, tablets guided, promise landed, Saul freaked, David peaked, prophets warned, Jesus born, God walked, love talked, anger crucified, hope died, love rose, spirit flamed, word spread, God remained. The Bible in 50 words. But I think we can go one better than that. I think we can summarize the Bible story in just two words. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Z.T. Sweeney, more than 100 years ago, he was an early leader in our restoration movement, he outlined the Bible this way, five sections, five main points. The Old Testament, coming up to Christ. The four Gospels, the coming of Christ. The book of Acts, coming into Christ. The epistles, the letters, continuing with Christ. And finally, the book of Revelation, crowned with Christ. It's all about him. The entire Bible. From Genesis 3.15 on, and if you know that verse, you know why I start there. From Genesis 3.15 on, God directed people's minds to one thing in the Bible, and that was the promised Savior who was coming. In the book of Revelation, Jesus calls himself the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And the book closes with Jesus himself issuing one final invitation. So all through the Bible, Jesus is there, sometimes quietly in the background, sometimes he's the center of events. 
And I love how Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18, describes Jesus. And this is vivid. This was written to a group of people at that time uh, who were influenced by a group called the Gnostics, who didn't believe God had really become a human being. Here's his description of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus is the central figure of the Bible. He is the central figure of history. Matter of fact, have you ever thought that the calendars of this world are dated from the time Jesus walked this earth? Every time you or I date a check, we are indirectly stating that this man was the center of history. And that's why in Acts 5, verse 42, it says, Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is central in the Bible. And therefore, second point on your outline, Jesus should be central at Bethlehem. At Bethlehem. Flip back, if you will, to Mark chapter 9 to one of the more familiar accounts from Jesus' life we'll get to in just a minute. See, Jesus should be central always at Bethlehem because it is his church. It is his church. Colossians 1.18, we just saw, says he is the head of the body, the church. Jesus built his church. He died for it. He loves it. It is his bride, and he will someday return for her. And that's why we should be honored to call this congregation, the Bethlehem Church, of Christ. And we ought to be proud to emphasize those last two words, of Christ. It belongs to him. It is his church. And therefore, Jesus should be central in our worship at Bethlehem. See, our worship should primarily focus on him. Now, there's an account in Mark chapter 9. It's also in Luke 9, as we'll see in a minute. Uh, also in Matthew. Uh, we refer to it as Jesus' transfiguration. And there are some incredible lessons about remembering what's what and who's who when we worship. Mark chapter 9, 2 through 4 says this. Notice, take note of the human beings who are with Jesus on this hillside. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. This was an incredible worship experience for three of Jesus' apostles. And there's also an amazing miracle that has already started to unfold here because you have Moses, who has been dead for 1,500 years, who shows up there in person. And you have Elijah, who has been dead for 900 years, and he shows up there in person too. 
Now, it would have been quite easy for the apostles to get very sidetracked at this point and start focusing on Moses and Elijah. Jesus, like, what are they doing here? <laughs> They've been dead for more than a thousand years, or one of them at least. It would have been quite easy for them to focus on those two guys and bypass Jesus. And Peter did get sidetracked a bit, because in verses 5 and 6, it says, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And parenthesis, he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. So God helped them regain their focus. Please notice what God said to them and probably beyond them too. Verse 7 and 8, Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and, the voice, and a voice came from the cloud. Listen carefully. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Now consider this unique gathering on that mountain. You have Moses, the great lawgiver. You have Elijah, the great prophet who performed uh, more miracles than almost anybody in the Old Testament. We saw him <coughs> skip death, being carried up to heaven in a chariot of fire. You have Peter on that, on that mountain, uh, the great Pentecost preacher. You have James, the first apostle martyr. You have John, who wrote the Gospel of John, three letters of the Bible, and the book of Revelation. You have five, in other words, five of the most important men in all of history are on that mountain on that day. But God does not say, hey guys, listen to Elijah. Hey, listen to Moses. God says, listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Pay attention to Jesus. His voice transcends all those other important voices. It's interesting in, in Luke's account in chapter 9, Verse 30, and the first part of 31, it says, Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. Now, just pause there a second. Don't peek ahead, all right? When I think you're peeking ahead. No, yeah. <laughs> no, don't peek ahead, okay? All right. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. Now, what would they be talking about? What would they be talking about? Moses and Elijah, back after being dead 1,500 years, 900 years, what would they talk to Jesus about? Were they talking about their, their best fire experiences? You know, Moses could say, well, you know, this bush caught on fire, and I was right there, and it didn't burn up, and God was in the bush. It was pretty amazing. Elijah says, yeah, but I was taken up by a chariot of fire into heaven. Uh, they could have even had a discussion about the, their, their own wimp factor, uh, about Elijah running away from Jezebel and Moses being afraid of Pharaoh. They could have had their stories about uh, parting the water, uh, because after all, Moses was there when God parted the Red Sea, and Elijah was there when God parted the Jordan River. They had a lot of cool things they could have talked about. These guys have been dead all these years. Or, or maybe they could have said to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, David and Abraham said to tell you hi. No, what did they talk about? Again, verse 31, now you can all peek ahead. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Didn't talk about all the other dramatic miracles. They talked about Jesus coming death on the cross 
You see, everything depended upon what Jesus was about to do. Everything in the history of the planet depended on what Jesus was about to do. So when we gather in this place to worship, let's not get sidetracked with pettiness or even religious rituals. Let's keep Jesus central. You see, that's why the Lord's Supper is so important. And that's why so many of, of the songs that we sing, be they old or new, talk about Jesus. Songs like, my Jesus, I love thee. What a friend we have in Jesus. Give me Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, come let us adore him. Jesus, Messiah. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. In Christ alone. Sing to the king who was coming to reign. And we'll sing as our invitation song this morning. Jesus at the center. Jesus at the center. You see, that's who we come to worship. That's who has called us together. That's who's hurt and disappointed by our absence when we put other things before this gathering. That's who's worthy of our focus and our attention. God said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. That's what our worship is to be about. But also, if Jesus is central at Bethlehem, it means he needs to be central in our teaching and preaching. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, simply, we preach Christ crucified. Now, I do not read that verse and think, well, boy, Paul had short sermons, didn't he? Got up and said, we preach Christ crucified, and that was it. Now, we know he talked about other things about how to walk the Christian life because we read them in the epistles. But he says, when it comes right down to it, that's what we ultimately get to. Every time we preach Christ crucified. Chapter 2, verse 2 in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. A lot of subjects are covered in the Bible, but ultimately it all revolves around Jesus. You look at the sermons in the book of Acts, which give us our model for really how to, to preach and teach today. In Acts chapter 2, on the first great gospel sermon, it starts out with this really amazing prophecy from the Old Testament book of Joel. But then it quickly, in verse 22, switches to talk about Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. Talks about him dying on the cross. Talks about him being raised from the dead for several verses. And then it climaxes in verse 36 and says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He was the ultimate point of all of it. You go to chapter 3, and they start really an impromptu kind of sermon with Peter after healing a, a, a lame man starting in verse 11, and they talk very briefly about other things, and then it immediately jumps to Jesus, calls him the servant Jesus, the holy and righteous one, the author of life, talks about his death and his burial and his resurrection. Chapter 4, uh, there's a follow-up message they get before the authorities uh, about what has just happened with the healing of this, uh, this particular man. But then in verse 8, they immediately shift the subject and especially in verse 10, to Jesus. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then it jumps to verse 12, one of the most important verses in the New Testament, when it says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. 
Chapter 13 is one of the more important chapters in all the Bible because it summarizes all the history of the Old Testament. But even after that quick history, that survey of Old Testament, of the Old Testament, it quickly jumps to David. And then it says in verse 23, from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And then the rest of the message is about Jesus, culminating in verse 38. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. So let's make sure every teacher at any level in this church that we always Make Jesus the focus here ultimately. No matter what parable or prophecy or passage we're talking about, it ultimately has to direct people to Jesus. Jesus should be central here at Bethlehem. Let's make it a little more practical and let's suggest point three, that Jesus is to be central in our homes. There is a famous passage that does not specifically mention Jesus. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, but there's a principle here. This is one of the most important passages to the Jewish people even today. It says this, starting in verse 6, These commandments that I give you uh, today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, as I said, this passage was written long before the earthly life of Jesus, but the principle is absolutely clear. What God has said and what God has done are to be the main focus, even in our homes. Parents, our children are never going to grow up to be adults who love and serve Jesus if the only time they hear the name of Jesus or talk about him is one or two hours on Sunday. That's not going to cut it. If our kids, our grandkids, are not hearing the name of Jesus routinely mentioned in our homes. So I ask you today, how often is Jesus mentioned at your house? How often is Jesus mentioned at your house? You see, our home, if we're a Christian, our home is a place where Jesus lives. It's a place where Jesus lives. In a lot of my weddings through the years, I have made this comment toward the end. I have said to a lot of young Christian couples, remember, a Christian home is not just where Christians live, it's where Christ lives. And I stress to them, there is a difference. So I ask you, does Jesus live at your house? Does he feel at home at your house with everything that happens and the music that's played and the things that are seen on the computer and the phone and the TV? Is Jesus at home at your house? But our home is also not only a place where he lives, but a place where he is real. In other words, Jesus... <laughs> should not just be a, on a picture or a plaque in our home, and then we think, well, that, that covers it. <laughs> we put Jesus in here. See, at church, we and our children hear that Jesus is an actual person who came to this earth, John 1, 1 through 14. He took a body like ours. He interacted with other people and faced the same struggles and heartaches we do, Hebrews 2, 18. 
He then died an agonizing death on, the, death on the cross in our place, was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven, 1 Timothy 3.16. We hear all those things at church and should, but at home, at home, parents, we have to translate that into real life. We have to somehow translate that, those Bible facts about Jesus, into actual life. You see, who Jesus is and what he did must affect our attitudes, our priorities, our decisions, and how we treat other people, including those in our own home. You see, if we're constantly aware of Jesus' presence in our home, we're going to watch how we act around our distinguished guest. Acts 5.42 says, they talked about Jesus from house to house. They talked about Jesus. But Jesus also, fourthly, should be central in our conversations in and out of our houses. Now, when that's the case, when you and I routinely, as Jesus followers, talk about Jesus, when we routinely do that in conversation, it is evidence, first of all, of our love for Jesus. It's an evidence that we love him, but we talk about him. You see, it's natural to talk about things and people that matter a lot to us. We just do it. It just kind of falls out of our mouth. So here's the evaluation question for each of us. From Monday to Saturday, how often do you mention Jesus? On a typical week, from Monday to Saturday, how often do you mention Jesus? Back in the 1970s, there was a um, very well-known, prominent uh, news anchor on CBS named Walter Cronkite. That's before all cable channels. There were like three main network channels on all of TV, and, and he was by far the most prominent. And, and he was routinely known as, quote, the most trusted man in America. Walter Cronkite said it was true. Too bad I can't say it about hardly any anchor people today, <laughs> but that's, that's a fact now. But Walter Cronkite, it just like, he just reported the news. There was no bias, no agenda. <laughs> he just reported the news for the most part. Well, during the time when President Jimmy Carter was in office, um, Walter Cronkite, like any anchor person at any level, no matter who's president, talks about the president. They're just in the news a lot. Well, a little girl wrote President Carter one time during that time period. <laughs> Here was her question. She goes, do you know Walter Cronkite? She goes, he talks about you a lot. <laughs> so she just assumed they must be friends because Walter talked about Jimmy a lot, you know? All right. Translate that to us. What if a child wrote a letter to Jesus? Could that letter say, do you know, fill in the blank, Tom Claiborne, do you know Carolyn Clifton? Do you know Shirley Lewis? He or she talks about you a lot. You talk about Jesus a lot? So the people just assume, you know, you guys are close. Because you talk about him all the time. Let's talk about Jesus a lot. It's evidence that we love him. But it's also, when we talk about Jesus a lot, it's evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. John 15, uh, well, John 14, 15, 16, Jesus is kind of preparing his disciples for his departure. And he's also preparing them for the helper he's going to send them, called the Holy Spirit, uh, the advocate, counselor, a number of things he calls him that night. 
But in John 15, 26 and 27, Jesus tells them, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, notice this phrase, the Holy Spirit, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Think about that. The Holy Spirit's main role, in one sense, besides making us holy, is to point people to Jesus and exalt Jesus and talk about Jesus. And if the Holy Spirit is living in my life and your life, he prompts us to talk about Jesus uh, as a routine thing, and he also prompts us to live like Jesus. And the result is we become more pleasant to be around. We become probably less critical and less self-centered. Uh, we'll pout and gripe less, and there's other things just become evident in our life because the Holy Spirit is making us more like Jesus, and it's routine for us to talk about Jesus, and there's no more positive subject than Jesus. So when we reflect Jesus and we talk about him a lot, it's evidence the Holy Spirit's working and living in our life. <laughs> but also it's evidence when we talk about Jesus a lot, it's of evidence of our love for others. See, when we talk about Jesus a lot, it shows we love other people. Acts chapter 5, verse 42 again says, Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Why? Because they wanted everybody to know that. They loved those people, so they told them about Jesus. Back in Acts 4, when they were confronted by the authorities, and in verse 12, they said, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So they wanted to make sure people knew about him, so they talked about him because they loved those people. They wanted them to know Jesus. Acts 8, there's an, there's a, uh, an Ethiopian, uh, a, a eunuch who's reading the Old Testament, and Philip, one of Jesus' followers, verse 35, Acts 8, says, Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. You see, when we point people to Jesus, when we talk about Jesus, it shows that we have found the one with all the answers in life, and we want to let others in on that joy. <laughs> Jesus should be central in our conversations. But finally, Jesus should be central in our lifestyle. You see, this becomes the real test. It's one thing to say things. We can do the Jesus, Jesus conversation all the time. But if the lifestyle part's not there, it's really, really very empty. This is the real test. Colossians 3, 15 through 17, whole section on how we ought to live and it concludes this way. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Be thankful. In other words, if, if we're walking with Jesus, if he's a central part of our lives, there's peace and gratitude are, are just evident in our life. Then he says, let the message of Christ or the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all, psalm, with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, here it is, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The peace of Christ, the word of Christ, the name of Christ. See, too often our actions betray our words. We say the right things and then our actions <laughs> conflict with that and it undoes the whole message. Read in Reader's Digest, a lady writes, she says, my sister had been ill, so I called to see how uh, she was doing. My 10-year-old niece answered the phone. Hello, she whispered. Hi, honey, how's your mother, I asked. She's sleeping. 
She answered again in a whisper. Did she go to the doctor, I asked. Yes, she got some medicine, my niece said softly. Well, well don't wake her up, I said. Just, just tell her I called. Uh, what are you doing, by the way? The little girl says, practicing my trumpet. <laughs> Too often, our actions betray our words. You know, our words can say Jesus is important to us, but then how we use our time says that we fit him in when nothing else is going on. Our actions betray our words. We say one thing with our mouth and quite another with our actions. So I want to ask you, is your trumpet drowning out your words? Christianity, really, if you think about it, is simply life in Christ. <laughs> it's life in Christ. What about three scriptures up here that describe that? Galatians 2, verse 20, a very familiar passage, where it says, this is Paul writing, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, a chapter later, it starts talking about our faith and our baptism. And notice this thing of, of, of we're putting Christ in our life and over our life. It says, don't you, is there a, a Colossians, I might have missed that one, we're checking, Galatians 3, 26, 27? Okay, we'll skip that one. Romans 6, verse 3 and 4, Paul says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. See, our, our life died, and now Christ lives in us and through us. And the question is, can people see the resemblance? Do people see the resemblance? Because we died to self, we buried that life, we rose to a new life. Read about a young artist in Italy years ago who was desiring to paint a painting he had seen in this palace in Rome. And he asked for permission to come in and kind of just set up art stuff and look at the painting and try to paint a copy of it. He said, no, we're not going to let you do that. So what he would do, this is his only other option, he would come in every day and he would study the painting. He would just sit there and memorize details about it. He would rush home and start painting it. He did this for weeks and months until finally he had completed his painting, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and it was absolutely amazing how much it looked like the original. It was an excellent painting, and when people would come to his house and see his painting, they made this comment, we've just got to see the original. They thought, if this is this good, we've got to see the original. Here's my question. When someone spends time with you and knows you're a Christian, do they say to themselves, you know, I've just got to meet Jesus because I know this person follows Jesus. And because I'm watching, I see, what, see these things in their life, I've just got to meet Jesus myself because if this is Jesus, I want to be like that. See, they will want to meet him if they see him in us. Christianity is life in Jesus, but it's also a life committed to Jesus. 2 Thessalonians 1 11 and 12, says, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. In other words, bring it out in our lives. 
We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. And you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that phrase. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. See, that's only going to be true if Jesus is the central focus and priority in our life. Where does Jesus fit on the priority scale in your life? And how is that reflected in how you spend your time and how you spend your money? How is that reflected in your home and in your mouth and in your habit and in your habits and your attitude and your way of life? Our serious theme is be like Jesus. Jesus is to be central in our worship, our homes, our conversations, and in our lifestyle. And that expectation is captured very well in the blunt declaration that Jesus himself made about what it means to follow him, where in Luke 9, verse 23, he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So I ask you this morning, do you wear Jesus' name well? He is God's beloved son. Let's listen to him. Let me share with you real quickly some things Jesus himself said. And remember God said, listen to him. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. John, 15, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said in John 3, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of the water and of the spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32, whoever confesses me before men, I will also uh, acknowledge him before my father in heaven. Jesus said in Luke 13, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Jesus said those things. Five straight Sundays we have talked specifically about aspects of Jesus. So now the question is, now what? <laughs> now what? Earlier we sang, give me Jesus. In the morning, give me Jesus. When I am alone, give me Jesus. When I come to die, give me Jesus. Can you live your life with that as your motto? Give me Jesus. We're going to be singing a song called Jesus... Uh, be the center, I think. And as we sing and, and focus on these words, think about what we've talked about. Think about how well you're representing Jesus. Think about if you need to change something so uh, you're not um, making his name look bad. <laughs> uh, think about it for something you need to do, some active step in following him. Maybe it's one of these things we just read that are part of following him that Jesus said because he loves us. So let's stand, let's uh, make this a time of self-evaluation, of honest looking at ourselves, and let's respond to Jesus' invitation uh, to the very things that we just said. Thank you for listening to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and think others can benefit from it, we encourage you to share it on social media, subscribe to our podcast, 
or leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform you use. You can also connect with us online at Bethlehem505.org or find us on Facebook. Please join us next time as we each seek to understand God's word and follow his son, Jesus Christ.